Welcome to the Dr. Payne Show. Yeah, we're going to cover all kinds of stuff on the show today. As always, your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. The, uh, the lines are wide open. You have concerns about your health, your pain, stuff like that. That's what we talk about here every week, and we uh, love to field all your phone calls and take them over the next hour. I just learned that you are deathly afraid of rats. This is a conversation am, we had. But what's wrong with you? I'm just incredibly afraid. I was telling you that I watched that documentary this morning on Netflix, and it's ruined my whole morning. (laughs) (laughs) So you have no rats going around your clinic? Have you ever checked the cafeteria? They they were like showing rats coming out of the toilet and everything, and I'm just like, now I don't even want to go to a toilet. (laughs) Can I tell you something? I had had pet rats when I grew up. I've had five or six pets. I was young. You went down in my books, John. Dude, they're fantastic. They're great animals. (laughs) They're clean. They're polite. They're, you know. What? Clean. They are clean. <laughs> Domestic rats are incredibly clean yeah. compared to hamsters. Oh, God. What a pain. Anyways. Here, look. Anyways. Week that was. It's how we always <laughs> yeah, start, Rat Boy. Was. What's going on? I can't think of anything else. <laughs> uh, week that was. Yeah. Um, over the last few weeks, we've uh, dealt a lot with uh, speaking about whether it's been numbness and tingling right. or any neurological symptom in the hands, the feet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I've given a few clinical cases where uh, the root cause of the, that numbness or tingling or that neurological symptom has been due to something other than what was thought by that person or that person's healthcare professional. Uh, last week after the show, we had uh, I had an email uh, from John in Oshawa who brought up the fact that he was having numbness and tingling for a long time and was getting checked out often yeah. uh, and was just kind of being misdiagnosed. And finally, it ends up being diagnosed as multiple sclerosis. And so he just wanted to bring to my attention that numbness and tingling uh, can often be something more serious. And I absolutely agree with that. And we've we've talked about this on the show, but I did think uh, it was an important point to highlight and, and something that I always say. Anytime you have a symptom or a sign, uh, the key to the treatment is getting to the right diagnosis. Right. Um, and yeah, it is true that sometimes numbness and tingling in the hands, the feet, wherever, can be due to some type of neurodegenerative disease such as a multiple sclerosis or an ALS, et cetera, et cetera. So that is something that anytime you have neurological symptoms needs to be considered in what we would call the differential diagnoses, which are essentially a list of things that could be causing those signs or symptoms. Now, more often than not, obviously, the, that numbness tingling is going to be related to uh, something more benign, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because those things aren't as common, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible that it could be something like that. And that's where having the right healthcare professional um, well, you'll be able to figure those things out. And what's interesting about neurological symptoms is most people think that in order to determine whether something is just more of a benign neurological symptom, like a disc herniation, or whether it's something more serious, like a neurodegenerative disease such as MS, that you need advanced imaging. A lot of the times, yeah. the simple tests that, that we can do in our office, that neurologist or that I can do in my office, uh, screening at reflexes, motor strength, uh, sensory uh, uh, sensory uh, limits uh, of the person's perception and also looking at something called uh, upper motor neuron lesions. These are all tests that can be done in the office mm. that can really point us whether something is uh, more uh, serious versus more benign. Uh, so it doesn't always require uh, waiting for that MRI. And that's, and that's one of the big things that I try to get across pe- with people when they call me for the consultation. Come on into the office. Let me go through a detailed history because listening and doing simple physical tests is something that's quickly being forgotten in our healthcare system. Uh, if you talk to a lot of older physicians, uh, they'll tell you that the newer generations of physicians and doctors are a little too reliant on special testing. 
uh, and it takes away from what we call clinical acumen, which is the ability to hear and see a clinical presentation and start to have an idea of what's going on. So anyways, I wanted to highlight the point that you don't always need the big bulky MRI machine and and it may be part of it, but you can get an answer just by good history and good physical exam. Uh, And then if we feel that the MRI or some other type of special imaging or other test is going to be absolutely necessary uh, because we suspect something, then that's really what those tests are there for. I think it's interesting too, but you know, the counter to that would be, uh, you know, these old guys and and old Dodgers, the, the young guys like yourself, they understand that there's a lot more physicality with people nowadays. I mean, people are doing more stuff physical out. I mean, there's everyone's doing CrossFit, everyone's doing all these different things, and that probably comes with its own set of injuries and and problems, which they probably would have no clue outside of you know going to a gym back in the day. You know what I mean? It's it's sure. it's a changing yeah. landscape for yeah. sure. So you guys, there's a lot of stuff you guys know now that yeah yeah for other sure. generations but, didn't know. But I do think from a prudent standpoint, I mean. I don't see a patient that comes in and says, my shoulder hurts, and the first thing I do is send them for an ultrasound or an x-ray. What's important is get a history, do a Mm -hmm. physical exam. If you can understand it without going to those tests, then all you're doing is saving a couple things. When you think about x-rays, there's exposure to radiation for the patient. So you always have to, anytime you're using a modality that's going to have radiation like an x-ray or a CAT scan, you're going to have to weigh the the benefits versus the risks for the patient. Is it going to give me more information and I'm just exposing this person to uh, potentially radiation. Uh, and also the other thing is the cost on our healthcare system. All those sure. tests that we do cost money. And if it's not absolutely necessary, if you look at the budget for healthcare and how much money is wasted on unnecessary tests, it's a lot of money. That money equates into what we pay in taxes. So, uh, you know, our responsibility in having good clinicians who use their clinical acumen before just jumping to a test is very, very important because it helps to save money for us too. It's also that aspect of waiting for the MRI, which is nice waiting. in this country. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. can do stuff a lot in your clinic. I can't for the three months I'm waiting for an MRI. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I always, that's another conversation that I have with people just because you're waiting on an MRI or waiting for a test. Uh, and unfortunately, you're right. There are long wait times. That doesn't mean you can't be doing anything in the meantime, mm-hmm. because if you, you know, I have sent people for imaging because I suspect it's a disc sure. herniation or something like that. But that doesn't mean I say, well, let's not treat it till we get that MRI because we, all you're going to do is potentially make it worse. By How many treating. times have we heard that? That's pretty smart. Even I've heard doctors say that, you know, just wait till we get this back and there's yeah. nothing going on in between. No, and, and I think, again, this needs to uh, look at, you know, if, if someone comes into my office, and I think I gave this clinical example uh, about a month ago where a lady had come in and she had fallen while raking leaves, uh, and I looked at her shoulder and it looked like the shoulder was out of place, I didn't have to do a physical exam because I was able to see it. I sent her for an x-ray right away because I knew what I would likely see and I needed that x-ray to confirm gotcha. it. Um, so that's not always the case, but sometimes you have to understand something like an MRI, which takes a much longer period of time. Do you really want to be waiting a month, two months with no intervention until you have a result? That may not be the best thing for your prognosis. And what I always say is imaging and special testing should be done to improve someone's prognosis. So even when I'm confident with someone that they have a disc herniation and they say, well, I think I want an MRI, I basically say, well, you know, what added information is it going to provide? It's not going to change the treatment. Yeah. We know that it's likely what it is. But, you know, it's it's important to consider all things. 
Phone lines are open. Would love to hear from you this afternoon. Bringing on Dr. Lewis uh, here, ready to answer your questions. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Reminders, well, free consultations. Drop by the clinic or clinics, uh, whichever one he points you to, and you want to send an email, it's info at paincarecanada.com. Just getting warmed up. The Dr. Payne Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 1214, open lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Bring your concerns. Let's hear them uh, till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Right, answer your questions. Dr. Lou uh, will be until uh, till one o'clock. Uh, by the way, one eight five 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 five. Dr. Lou, you want to book an appointment, have a consultation, or info at paincarecanada.com. Dr. Luigi Nelly, doctor here for the uh, the hour on the Dr. Pain Show. Back problems, always lower back. Yeah, lower constantly back. in pain. Yeah, lower back, neck problems. We've gone through this before. Obviously, the more prevalent areas mm-hmm. of the spine to have uh, issues, mainly because the middle back, the thoracic spine, has the rib cage. Uh, which provides an inherent amount of stability versus if you were to look at a skeleton or the human body and you look at the low back and the neck, the only thing that actually keeps it upright is the muscles. Otherwise, there's nothing else. There's no architectural stability there right. like the the thoracic spine because of the rib cage. Uh, and so because of that, that obviously means uh, that those areas are going to be more predisposed to problems. The neck, the lower back is more common than, ne- than the neck uh, because gravity, mm-hmm. right? Even if you would look at the anatomy of a spine, the vertebrae and the discs get bigger as you move towards the bottom because it has to take on more weight. Um, So, and we tend to use in in our society, I mean, when we're picking things up, doing things, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're always bending at the hips, twisting. And those are things that are very, very dangerous uh, for the low back. It puts stress on on the the disc specifically and the disc uh the outer layer can tend to rip and then the the inner layer which is very similar to a jelly uh which is the annulus pulposa can come out and that's where disc bulges disc herniations now inherently those things are not pain generating themselves what happens is when those bulges put pressure because what's what does the spine do it it provides a structural stability, Mm -hmm. but it also encases our spinal cord and the nerves. Uh, So once pressure is put on those structures, that's where pain uh, starts. So that's the problem with the the low back and... uh, and the neck, but definitely those are very, very common areas. The neck too, right? Especially with how much of our population works at a desk. We see tons of this. People with... Heads bent over looking yeah, at phones heads, all day, right? Yeah, phones. That's a big thing too now. That's become more prevalent because now we're we're texting. Once upon a time, it was that we had the phone on our shoulder. Yeah. And so necks were getting kinked that way. Now we find... And that you used to see a little bit more where we would say it was unilateral, where the problem was on one side. Now we tend to see that the problem's on both sides because you're, you're holding a phone looking down in front. You. And your head's pretty heavy. Without you know, you wouldn't realize how much your head weighs without those yeah, neck I, muscles. Yeah, I remember right? learning, and I'm and I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it's something around ten pounds, right? <laughs> That's I, a lot I, to carry yeah, around on top yeah, of your shoulders it, yeah, all day. So yeah, definitely it adds up for sure. Uh, I got uh, is it Luis or Louis here? Hello, he's on, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What's uh, your concern? Uh, I have emphysema. I was diagnosed about three years ago. Yep. They call it, the doctors, they call it severe emphysema. I'm mm-hmm. 47. I was talking to my specialist, my chest specialist, uh, last week and uh, talked to my doctor, and we talked about a transplant. Okay. The fact that I'm still young and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still smoke. I'm a 32-year smoker. I still smoke two or three cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the specialist tells me that it might not be the best option due to complications that comes afterwards. And it won't increase my life expansion to more than five years. Right. That's with the transplant. Yes. Okay. So what is your question then? 
is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Is well, it really like I, I talk to some people, I search online, and apparently the medication and the, the lifestyle uh, that you have after the, the surgery, it's really complicated. Yeah, so... Yeah, and let, let me comment. I'm I'm not a respirologist, and I don't do lung transplants. But I can tell you um, that number one, you said that you have this, and you're still smoking. I would probably say that you know maybe cutting out the smoking is at this point is probably a good idea. Um, yes. And then you know, actually, I can relate to this on a personal level because my mom actually has COPD. She was a smoker, um, and one of the things that you're looking at is essentially lung function. So, how much function of the lung do you have? And I'm sure your doctors let you breathe out into a computer machine that tells you how much uh, lung capacity uh, you have and what kind of volume you have. And, and there's a, sorry. When I was diagnosed, when I was diagnosed, he said that I lost eighty percent of my lung capacity already. Right, so then that that means you're not you're functioning on like half of one lung. So, um, yeah. you know, in the absence of most of the medications that are available, um, you know, like the corticosteroids and things like that to help your lung function, if those things aren't helping, uh, then I I would assume that the only thing left, the only option would mm. be something like a lung transplant. But I would definitely say that if you're the people that you're dealing with, your respirologist and the specialist uh, are suggesting that. Again, I've always said this for everything. This is the conversation I. I can't answer your question because I believe that um, you have to have this conversation with those people that are recommending that and just understand the risk versus benefit ratio, right? If someone's going to tell you, well, this is going to prolong your life 10 years, well, the other option may be that you may be dead in a year or two years, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure, and I don't know your specific case, but I encourage all people where surgery is an option. Most people that are recommending surgery are recommending it because they feel that it's going to be some type of benefit versus not doing the surgery and that's the way we work in healthcare we make a recommendation um based on uh, believing that the benefit is greater than the risk so i definitely think that that's a conversation that you continue to have with your specialist um and you know again i would say that probably the cigarettes contributed to to you having that and maybe it might be time to to say goodbye to them and see if that helps a little bit queenie hang on we'll get to you in just a a couple minutes here uh everyone else give us a call 416-870-6400 star 640 on your cell dr Payne show talk radio am 640 get your free consultation happening as well don't hesitate go to see dr lou it's uh queenie here hi queenie thanks for hanging in how are you i'm okay how are you okay what's your concern (laughs) well I have numbness in my heel. Okay. And um, I'm wondering, like I had surgery, hip surgery, mm-hmm. and I've had um, <clears throat> physio. Okay. And uh, it's still there. This this numbness is there in the morning. Okay. So wait, let's start at which heel is it? My left heel. It's and the, the heel, the leg that I had. Uh, the surgery on for the hip. Surgery on, yeah. Okay. Did the numbness start after the surgery? I think so. Okay. Um, and how long ago was the surgery? The surgery was in July. July. Okay. So, uh, have you, and you uh, have made uh, the therapist and the surgeon aware of that numbness in the heel? Yeah. And the last, well, now I'm going for surgery and uh, for physio. Okay. And she seems to be sending me somewhere else. And she said maybe I would have to go to a neurosurgeon, neurosurgeon, some other more examinations or whatever mm-hmm. for oh. this numbness because it could be related but the first 
uh, physio said that that was di- that was a different subject, but the second physiotherapist said it could be related. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Uh- I could agree a little bit with both. It might be a separate issue. It might be related. Um, Definitely the timeline suggests that it might be more related because it started after the surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when they do replace Mm -hmm. a hip, they're moving a lot of structures out of the way. uh, And in doing so, uh, some things tense. uh, Maybe something gets a little bit stretched and it could end up causing uh, Mm -hmm. some issues, right? The other thing is once you have... Your body, see, the thing is with any type of intervention, whether it's a hip replacement, a knee replacement, or something like putting an orthotic in in a shoe or whatever, anytime you have, your body gets used to your body being a certain way. So now all of a sudden you have a new hip, that hip's healthier, it can do things. Sometimes that increased mobility that you didn't once have can predispose you to other issues uh, just because, again, your body's not used to it. Uh, the best thing that I could say is it might be worth us doing a, a specific assessment because, again, it's very hard for me to say specifically yes. over the phone whether it's related to it, not related to it. Uh, this is where, you know, this is kind of the idea of the free consultation is I have a discussion like I am here with you um, and I determine, yeah, this is absolutely something that I can assess and give you an accurate answer. And and then we move on to the assessment. And, you know, the the, the other thing I want you, Queenie, to know and, and our listeners is we usually can do these assessments within a few days of you calling. So Mm -hmm. uh, I try to keep my schedule open for just assessments, just Mm -hmm. so that there's no long wait periods for people so that they're getting the right answer. Right. And it's a $45 charge. And and I mean, some people will look at that. And I think some people sometimes have a problem with paying for health care. But if we're not going to pay for our health care, what are we going to pay for? And, you know, it's $45. There's so mm-hmm. many more things that cost much mm-hmm. more than that. And it's a comprehensive exam where we're going to get to the bottom of something and, I, and you're going to get advice. And my advice is basically going to be yeah. what could potentially make the difference in getting something better. So I would encourage you, give us a call. This is absolutely something uh, that we can assess. Uh, get to the bottom of it and and give you the right recommendations on what to do. Okay, I would like that very much because I think this is divine because I just put the radio on and and, and it's really what I'm looking for. Like I I want an answer. Yeah, so if you just leave your number with our uh, call screener. Uh, I'll, I'll even give you a call later on in the week. Queenie, again, uh, just on your end, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou would be that number. We'll get to uh, Randy. Hey, pal. Hi, how you doing? Today? Good, sir. What's going on with you? Um, well, I've had, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. At first, uh, my flares didn't happen as much. Okay. But now my flares are happening like constantly. Like okay. I'm saying, once every three months. I've mm-hmm. been in and out on many treatments, but other things happen during my flares now that didn't happen before. Like um, I get sores, I get uh, like constant pain and, and the numbness too. Okay. And they just keep saying, just keep doing the treatment, it's not going to get better. It always just stays all the same or it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Try to relieve stress. Right. But I was wondering if there is any other things that I could do because it's becoming more bothersome. Right. Like, don't uh, get me wrong, the pain hurts, but it's more bothersome now than anything else. Sure. Um, what type of uh, treatments have you had? Has it just been strictly like more conventional Western medicine approaches to this? No, I had Remicade treatments, um, Imuran. And uh, it stopped. It was a medication called Sunzia. I was okay. on that for about. But, but four you've years. never tried any more, I guess, integrative alternative approaches. 
No, I haven't. Okay, so so something. So let me touch on this. One of the things that we also have at the clinic is our integrated approach mm-hmm. to healthcare, where we work with naturopaths, acupuncturists, et cetera, for for especially things like this, pain related to visceral. Um, issues. Now, one thing that I want to touch on, Randy, that this is not just for you, but for all our listeners, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, we've all kind of heard of it at some point or another. The sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight where, you know, it's our uh, way of defending against ourselves. And the parasympathetic system is what keeps us calm and allows our body to do uh, what it, it has to do. The neurological innervation to the GI system is incredible. There's no, the, the, it's where most of the innervation happens in the whole body. And one of the big things with most GI issues that has a very big contributing factor is the stress levels because stress is, again, is going to affect that parasympathetic. Again, your body, your your bowels are going to work well when you're in a good parasympathetic state, right? Because that makes sense. If a tiger was coming after us, we wouldn't be worrying about going to the washroom. We would probably, our sympathetic system would allow us to defecate quickly and move and run. Uh, But when your parasympathetic system is acting well, that's when you have good sleep, you have good uh, bowel uh, habits, good bladder habits. And so a big thing, part of the treatment, uh, again, with this, and this is where the integrated approach to healthcare that we try to go with is working on the conventional side, which are things that you've already done with the medications, working with some alternative therapies Mm -hmm. like the naturopathic medicine and the acupuncture, the traditional Chinese acupuncture, but also uh, implementing social workers and psychologists to work with the stress levels because of how important it is in something like this with Crohn's disease. So yeah, Randy, I would absolutely say, again, similar to our last caller, this is something that uh, I can definitely make an appropriate referral to the right people for you. Um, Okay. And, and uh, so you can leave your number or uh, give us a call at one eight five 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 doctor Lou. And for our listeners, it's D-R-L-O-U. Um, and so, yeah, give us a call and we can definitely try to uh, get you in touch with some, you know, trying to uh, an sure. all integrated approach to that uh, problem. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Got open lines. You got some time. Give us a call. We'd love to answer your questions. Get some solutions happening. Springboard that from this show or the remainder of the half hour here. The Dr. Payne Show. Talk radio. AM 640. It is 12.30. Got some open lines. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that talking about uh, the GI, the gastrointestinal stuff. And it's true. I mean, I had issues 15 years ago with that. And after having every physical examination from, you know, uh, sigmoidoscopies to everything, I, you know, there's nothing physical I can find. I said to myself, you know what? This is completely stress. It's mental. And I worked myself out of it. Like yep. my own personal CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yep. And that does so much. Right? Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things when you look at GI issues, there are some things in the GI that are obviously not always related right. to stress. Right. Uh, but once you start getting to things like a lot of people come in and say, I've been diagnosed with ir- irritable mm-hmm. bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome is, again, in healthcare, what we would call a wastebasket term. It's similar to something like fibromyalgia. Sciatica. Yeah, it's essentially what happens when you rule out any serious cause. It's kind of like irritable bowel syndrome. That's, you know, you have an issue with your bowels. We can't say that it's a tumor or that it's this or that it's that. So we say it's irritable bowel. It's the same as fibromyalgia. You have pain. We can't really find, you know, a specific fracture, a tear, something like that, but you have widespread pain, Mm -hmm. we call it fibromyalgia. These things are often related, not often, always have a psychological component. And it's so important for uh, patients to understand that when I say psychological, people are always like, are you saying we're crazy? No, No. 
stress is a real thing. It affects everybody. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. Our mind is connected to our body. And so the things that happen in our mind can affect our body and vice versa. That is just the reality. And people should not... Uh, be so apprehensive to understand that the way you think uh, the things going on in your life can affect your physical body. It is just the reality of what happens with with your with the human body. How many times have you stood, you know, on the sidelines of a wedding table, knowing that you have to give the next speech? You're like, you know, I would love to go use the washroom right now. It, I don't get exactly. it because I do this for a living, but a lot of people are yeah, terrified exactly. of that thing. Public speaking, and is, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's just the reality. We can all do that. I've always said, like, you could be you know, have the worst flu in the world. And if you all of a sudden are watching the TV and you see that you won the lottery, you won $50 million, I guarantee you that cold's going to feel better yeah. really quick, right? Because <laughs> right. of how powerful the mind is going to be. Yeah. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Sally, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. good. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had uh, some neuralgia, parasitica in my left thigh. Yep. Since September. Okay. Uh, I'm five feet tall, 110 pounds. I'm, I'm not the traditional person who has that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very active. I play hockey a couple of times a week, and I'm a RMT, so oh, I have a okay. lot of physical work. Yep. So part of my question is I've had lots of treatment, massage, chiropractic, mm-hmm. acupuncture. Sure. <laughs> I, yep. stre- I stretch all the time, I've, uh, and it's better. It's mm-hmm. getting better. Yep. But I still have this. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of wondering uh, what I have done differently. I've been an RMT for 20 years. i very active skating. I haven't done anything really different. Sure. The only thing that's different for me is uh, in July of the same year, I had a colonoscopy for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 50 years old. My sister died of cancer last year. Sorry to hear and that. I'm, I'm wondering, thank you. I'm wondering if, is there any relation to the colonoscopy that could have irritated that lateral nerve or, um, that's my first question. Sure. And, then, and then the other one is, do you have anything else for me to do? <laughs> yeah. So, so just for people listening, neuralgia parasthetica is like, what neuralgia parasthetica is, is on the the lateral, which means on the outside part of the thigh, a numbness and tingling. So it's very similar. It's a very similar term to sciatica. Mm-hmm. So, and we've talked about this a lot where that's just a, a describing a sign. That's not necessarily a diagnosis as to what's causing the neuralgia parasthetica. Neuralgia right. parasthetica could be caused by a couple of things. It could be some type of a tight muscle, like we've talked about, which impinges on the lateral cutaneous nerve, which is a branch of uh, uh, the femoral nerve, which goes innervates the skin in that area. And so that could cause numbness and tingling. Mm-hmm. It could be a disc herniation higher up around T12, L1, L2, uh, because that's the nerve that makes up uh, for that area. of it's, it's a little less common, again, because it's closer to the thoracic spine. Mm-hmm. It's not as further down. Um, but Sally, I would say the biggest thing when I deal with things like this is, and I'm sure you can appreciate this being an RMT, that I, yeah. it is really something that I should probably assess and take a look at because yeah. there's, you know, a handful of things that could cause it. You know, your question about could the colonoscopy have caused it, uh, the pudendal nerve, which kind of innervates uh, all the genet- or the, right. the general area, is in close relation to the femoral nerve. 
I mean, I can't say for sure, sure. Uh, and I and it doesn't sound likely. Uh, I would definitely say that based on what you're doing, you know, you've said you haven't changed a lot. But the one thing that you said that was interesting was you've been doing it for 20 years. The reality yeah. about the body <laughs> is wear and tear yeah, is, is a right. real thing, right? So yeah. uh, it could just be a matter of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. It could be a matter of posture things. Uh, when I look at things like this, I try to also look at it from a functional perspective where I'll get you to actually, one of the things that I do with uh, physical capacity evaluations and, and physical demands analysis is you identify what the person needs to do in their day to day life. Right. Uh, and then you can look for the way that they're doing it and see if there's a way that you're doing it that's maybe putting pressure. But, uh, you know, I think it would be great. And also from an interprofessional uh, perspective, uh, yeah. you know, I'd love to have the the, uh, the opportunity to do an assessment with you and, and try to get to the bottom of it. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, I've uh, purchased a, a hydraulic table so that I'm not so flexed forward. Sure. Yeah. I've uh, done. Yeah, that would be great. Where awesome. are you? Yeah. Where, where is uh, we're, our main located? clinic is in Etobicoke, where I actually work out of to do the assessments. Perfect. Um, so, Port Credit. Awesome. Perfect. So, yeah, the number one eight five 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 D R L O U. Get to uh, Ram here before the break. Hey, Ram, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yourself? All right. What's uh, what's your concern? Yeah, my concern is uh, I've got uh, burning in my uh, in both feet, uh, and I've got. Uh, lower back trouble uh, most of my life. I've had uh, herniated discs and I had uh, surgery on the herniated disc back uh, probably about 16, 17 years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm getting this burning uh, sensation in my feet and, uh, uh, you know, at night uh, it uh, wakes me up uh, in the middle of the night and it's probably sure. getting so hot that I have to uh, go and uh, put my feet under cold water or something. Yeah. Ram, do you know wh- when they you said they did back surgery? What did they do exactly? A uh, discotomy. Okay, yeah. So one of the things that happens, and what was common practice once upon a time, and it's still done sometimes today, but not as often, is where they'll remove the disc and fuse the vertebrae. Yeah. Now we've kind of talked about this. If you look at like, let's just deal with the low back. More, more often than not, there's five vertebrae. Sometimes people have an anomaly. You can have six, but there's five. If you were to fuse two of those together, let's pick you fuse L4 and 5 together. Mm -hmm. What has to happen is all those joints work together to allow a certain amount of movement. You're not going to move any less. So what has to happen when a segment doesn't move, more movement has to happen in other areas. There's compensation that happens. So what ends up happening a lot of the times after some surgery like that where there's a fusion component is that other areas take on a new burden of stress. And when there's new burden of stress on bones, Wolf's Law, which is, is, is a law that dictates that as bones have more pressure on them, they lay down more bone. That's what arthritis is. So you start to get degenerative changes. So, Ram, it sounds like you probably have a component of stenosis, uh, which is where... Uh, either the central canal with the spinal cord or the peripheral canals of the IVF where the nerves come out have either uh, become encroached on by that extra bone and it's causing those types of symptoms. But again, that's I can't say for sure, obviously, over the phone. Uh, come in, we can do a proper assessment. We can figure out if that's exactly what you're suffering from. Uh, and if it is, then then we can give you the right recommendations as to what you do for stenosis. Ram, for that contact, one eight five five. Five five Doctor Lou D R L O U or info at paincarecanada.com. You want to call in uh, this afternoon? You got to, uh, till one o'clock four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. Back to your calls in but a moment here on the Doctor Payne Show Talk Radio AM six forty twelve forty five. Lots of phone calls to get through. We'll get to them. Ian, good afternoon. Oh hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. What's How going you? on with you? 
Um, I'm 50 now, but back when I was 40, I was diagnosed with the Horner syndrome. Okay. I've gone through all the tests uh, for a number of years, and they fixed the ptosis in my eye. Yep. Um, by basically cutting the eyelid off and then sewing it back up. Mm, okay. Uh, but since uh, for the last four years, I've been going back and forth to the doctor to, because my eye that was um, initially had the ptosis mm-hmm. is uh, irritated all the time, um, constant pain, blurriness. Okay. Um, and um, they've given me drops. They've mm-hmm. done a lot of things, but it just, uh, it's, in fact, it's starting to droop again, so... Okay, now let me ask you something. Why did they say the Horner syndrome was happening? Uh, because of the ptosis in the eye and the, um, I guess the uh, my uh, iris. Uh, yeah. So, so okay. Let's start. Let's just for our listeners that are uh, just to explain it. Horner syndrome is a a constant, a bunch of th- three main symptoms, which is that uh, a droopy eyelid on one mm-hmm. side of the face. That same yeah. pupil will be decreased in size, and that there's lack of sweating on that affected side of the face. Uh, it usually is related to some type of a problem uh, with the sympathetic chain in the neck, which is the nerve bundle in the neck. That again, we just went over the sympathetic chain that uh, affects flight or flight responses. Um, Horner syndrome can happen due to a couple different things. Uh, sometimes it can be due to things like a pancos tumor, so uh, which is a tumor in the lung at the apex of the lung, which is right at the top. So if you're sitting there and you kind of feel your clavicle and you feel there's an empty space in there, uh, that's the... Uh, that's the apex of the lung, and pancos tumors can form in there, uh, and they can have an effect on those yep. sympathetic nerve bundles uh, and cause Horner syndrome. The other thing where Horner syndrome, and, and I guess that's what you mean, uh, Ian, where they, they checked for things. They were checking for more uh, serious causes like that, putting pressure. But one place where I see a lot of Horner syndrome is in whiplash. So when there's a severe whiplash in some type of an accident where your head gets whipped forward and back, those sympathetic chains are stretched. Uh, and and it can cause Horner syndrome. So um, one thing to maybe consider if you've never done it so far is if you had some type of neck treatment to really focus on getting that the neck healthy. And when I say neck treatment, I mean some type of passive intervention, but also very, very good rehabilitation of what's called the deep neck flexors uh, might be able to improve those symptoms. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Do you know your cause, Ian? Just to just ask. Uh, at this stage, they, they, they're just calling it idiopathic. Yeah. So yeah, and so I've said this before. Idiopathic means that uh, they just don't know. And one of my professors always used to say that uh, the doctor's an idiot and the patient's pathetic. And that's how I've always remembered. <laughs> that's idiop- outstanding. <laughs> idiopathic. But uh, Ian, give me a call. Uh, I think it's very worthwhile to do an assessment, and I'd really like to see what I uh, what I would look for in your case is what's called the endurance of your deep neck flex muscles, deep neck flexor muscles, uh, and see if there's there's a weakness component there, and if there is, give you some uh, very simple exercises that you can do, and hopefully that can help you. Oh, that would be great. Okay. Ian, appreciate it, pal. one 855 Dr. Lou is the number to get a hold of. Got uh, Steve here, and hi, Steve. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> I have an issue with uh, my cervical spine. Okay. Uh, I had a diagnosis uh, of uh, mild antrolisical thesis. Antrolisthesis, okay, yeah. Of uh, C4 and 5. Okay. And also um, a degenerative disc uh, at uh, C3, 4, 5, 6, uh, or, yeah, 5, 6, and 7. Okay. Uh, I, ha- I, I don't actually have pain, but what I do have is uh, discomfort that starts to move in after about uh, 
seven hours or so. Seven hours and doing what? Uh, of working. Of working, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, for sure, degenerative changes in the neck, again, can affect uh, what it is. It affects the space between the disc. Uh, it can encroach on the holes where the nerve comes out. The anterolisthesis is when one vertebrae falls a little forward of the one below it. That's why it's anterolisthesis. Oh, okay. uh, and so sometimes that can also affect the hole where the nerve is coming out because it changed, that hole is made up of the vertebrae above and below. Sure. Uh, and so sometimes there's encroachment uh, from that type of pathology. Uh, again, Steve, you're, you're another very good example of in order for me to give a very, very specific answer in order to what you should be doing to potentially get it better or at least be able to cope with it well, uh, I'd have to see you, assess you if you have x-rays already with you. That's another big thing. People who come in to see me uh, and any of our listeners that do come, if you have your medical information, bring it in. It helps, yeah, big put, time. It helps to put a picture together for me uh, so that I can review everything that's there uh, and give you the right recommendations. Right. So do, do you foresee uh, um, like a re- relief from the, the tension and the, and the uh, Again, so, that, so that's plan of management and prognosis. So prognosis is how likely you are to get better. In order for me to really give a good estimation of prognosis, I really need to see it and assess it properly. I can't say for sure because I don't know what it's due to mm-hmm. for sure. I'm just going based simply on what you're telling me now. Uh, here over the radio, but uh, it, it's not something that I can absolutely say, yep, that's causing it, and that this is how likely it is to get better. So, uh, yeah, the proper assessment is where I'll be able to give those specific answers. Starts with that phone call, Steve, one eight five 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 doctor Lou. Give him a call, make an appointment, get in there. Uh, hang on the line, guys. We'll get to you. everyone else. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Back to your calls. Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio AM 640. 1254, lots of phone calls to get through. We'll get right to them, so we uh, we have time. Uh, Jeannie, hello there. Hi there, how are you today? Good, good. What's going on with you? Well, I'm so happy to hear. I listen to you every day, and I I told the girl, tell the guy to give the phone number a little bit slower for us older people. <laughs> well, you, you navigated it properly because you're on with us now. Yeah, I kept listening and listening. I thought, oh my God, I'll get it. I'll, I know I'm going to get it. I thought it was pretty catchy, though. one eight five 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 doctor Lou. It's a lot of fives. <laughs> what I did get was the 416-870-6400. So you oh, got that's that in the you. 640 number. Oh, okay, yeah. You guys are swift. <laughs> okay, Jeannie, what can we do for you? Well, anyway, uh, why I am calling and i do listen to this program every day and i do i've heard about dr lou and now it's a dr Payne. okay okay dr Payne's new to me yeah uh, that's me dr Payne. you're dr Payne. <laughs> i'm dr Payne. he's a pain to talk to you <laughs> sure um, okay getting to my husband about uh, 2008 he had uh, a dancing problem with one leg danced all over the floor it was just it was a terrible thing he danced on one leg? Yeah, just the right leg. Okay. And, and anyway, he uh, he went and seen about it and had an operation because he had stenosis. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, crunching the nerves because I don't need to tell you. Yeah. You know all about it. And uh, that was causing the problem. And he had the operation when we're thinking, okay, great. But he did wait. He put it off looking for alternative care. And they told him, and we think you might have waited too long because it might have damaged the nerves. Okay. So anyway, um, to this day, he still has the pain in the bottom of his foot. Sometimes it's really bad. 
and the pain goes up over his ribcage on the right-hand side to right under his arm. Okay. Wow. All the way down his leg. Okay. Just the one side. Yeah. So, okay, Jeannie, again, similar to, you know, it's it sounds like a, it, there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I encourage you, if, if you have time to bring your husband in for that assessment, yeah. that's when I can really get to the bottom of these things and give a specific answer. Because it sounds like you want a specific answer to what's uh, happening with your husband. But I can't give that right now because oh, I, I don't know enough. But, uh, you know, thank you for your call. Uh, you have the number, the one eight five five number. Uh, let's book that assessment. Let's take a look at him and let's get to the bottom of it for sure. Again, Jeannie, one more time. one eight five 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 doctor Lou D R L O U. Uh, hi Kim. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. What's your concern? Um my husband is forty five years old and the last few months he's been complaining about every morning when he wakes up his calves are in excruciating pain. Okay. And uh, when he gets out of bed it's a hard for him to walk. Uh, is it both calves or one? Both calves. Is it kind of like those nocturnal cramps where it cramps oh, up in the middle of the night, or not, or is that not what he's experienced? More like a throbbing, sore calf. A throb, and, and it's on both sides. Both sides. Hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, okay, so throbbing, uh, do you know, like, has he described it in any other way? Um, no, he's never said any kind of um, cramps. He just said that, like, they just feel overworked, overtired, kind of heavy feelings. Okay, does he, is he very active, like a runner or anything like that? Yeah, he does work out. Okay. Um, uh, he runs on the treadmill, plus he does some weightlifting. Okay. Uh, he does have an inactive thyroid. Okay. Um, well, I was kind of look, looking online, um, and I noticed that they said that it, it could be associated with that, like um, joint pain, but... I don't yeah, know. it's not really at the joint. So commonly with the calves, it's either going to be something uh, related to kind of the cramping aspect, which is usually due to a deficiency in minerals, usually potassium and magnesium. Um, so one thing that he could try in the interim is add a banana and some green vegetables to his diet every day, see if it improves on that end. Uh, the other thing it could be is a neurological component, right? Where it could be like a, a, the way he's sleeping is maybe aggravating a certain muscle or there's an underlying disc herniation or disc bulge uh, that's formed and that that may be aggravating it and causing that type of throbbing because that throbbing type of sensation can also be related to neurological type symptoms. But um, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, again, this is where the, the assessment's really going to help me get to the bottom of it for sure. We are out of time for the hour. If you're calling through and waiting, please take this number down, one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. Please follow up uh, with your question at that number or info at paincarecanada.com. Dr. Lou will get to you. Now the show is done for this week. We're turning next week here on the Dr. Pain Show Talk Radio, AM 640.